This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could join us today. This is Bob Ambrogi from Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams from Southern California, Newport Beach. I write a blog called May It Please the Court. And I write a blog called Law Sites and another one called Media Law and also Legal Blog Watch for Law.com. Well, Bob, Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, John Grisham's The Firm and The Client all come to mind when thinking about classic books written about the law. That's right. And today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to induct two more books into that classic category as we discuss uh, one that uh, really has already, uh, in, in just a couple of years, become kind of a, a classic within the legal community. And we're going to talk about an upcoming book uh, due out any day now that is bound to be an instant classic. We'll talk to the authors about how they got involved in writing, how their experience as attorneys served as uh, source material for their books, uh, and what led them to write and the feedback they've received from the legal community. So let's launch into our guests. And, and our first guest today is someone who will be familiar to listeners to Lawyer to Lawyer, and that is, of course, my co-host, Jay Craig Williams, who has just uh, published his first book called How to Get Sued. It's a witty look at the American court system aimed at the attorney or intelligent casual reader seeking some light diversion. The satirical how-to is sophisticated enough to appeal to the average reader who enjoys sharp wit and some of the more bizarre twists in the legal system uh, that the legal system takes without covering the humor with a thick layer of obscure jargon. Uh, uh, it's also uh, helpful while being clever and tackles a subject that many pundits like to rail against, namely our litigious society. The book is published by Kaplan Publishing, a 272-pages hardcover book available online and at major bookstores. And, of course, Jay Craig Williams is also the founding uh, member of the Williams Lindbergh Law Firm in Newport Beach, California, and uh, creator of a popular blog, May It Please the Court, and our co-host here on Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. So, Craig, uh, congratulations on your book. Thank you very much, Bob. Well, our next guest is one of my heroes, uh, Mark Herman. He's a partner and resident in the Chicago office of the International Law Firm of Jones Day. He hosts the Drug and Device Law Blog, which is the most widely read product liability blog on the Internet. And he's the author of my favorite book, The Curmudgeon's Guide to Practicing Law, which is among the ABA's uh, best-selling books of all times. Mark graduated from Princeton University and the University of Michigan Law School. And he served as law clerk to the Honorable Dorothy Nelson of the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. Welcome to the show, Mark. Well, thanks very much. I'm glad to hear that it's your favorite book because it's certainly my favorite book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, we're going to uh, we're going to talk to Craig uh, about his book, but I, I thought, uh, Mark, since since you're the guest on the program, let's let's give you the honors uh, first of uh, just tell tell us a little bit about. Uh, what led you to write the Curmudgeon's Guide to Practicing Law? Well, the, the 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 book is an odd amalgam. It's sort of a mix between Clarence Darrow, Groucho Marx, and Vlad the Impaler. 
<laughs> it's uh, an old coot who's been. Pr- it's written in the voice of an old coot who's been practicing law so long that he's just jaded and over the top and beyond belief. With a little luck at all, that's funny. In addition to being instructive, I had written a series of articles in the ABA's litigation journal over time and had an idea for a few more articles and decided the heck with it. If instead of writing a couple more articles, I wrote uh, eight or ten chapters, I would have a book instead of a series of articles and holding a book in my hand would be much cooler than holding another article in my hand. So I wasted a few a, a few Saturday mornings and wrote a few more things and cranked this out a couple of years ago. I have to say, so convincingly did you write in the style of an old coot that I was surprised to learn that you're not an old coot. I don't know if you're a coot, but you're not old. <laughs> I'm pleased to be a curmudgeon slightly before my time. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're going to have this this show be a little bit more of a conversation than sometimes happens, I think, because obviously our co-host is also our guest today. So, But, Craig, let's let's talk a little bit about your book and what led you to uh, write that. Well, I'd gotten somewhat enamored with uh, the almost but not quite Darwin Award winners, uh, the people who just came short of killing themselves as a consequence of uh, their kind of silly activities and some kind of not really thinking about what they were doing. And it seemed um, as I was writing my blog, I'd find some of these stories as I searched the Internet for uh, legal things to write about. And they all involved some version of the law, but they just tickled me. And I thought if they interest me, they might interest my readers. So I wrote a few of them. And I have a very... Um, sarcastic and satirical sense of humor, um, I think like most lawyers do, and somewhat cynical. So it um, kind of became a self-fulfilling prophecy like, Mark, uh, I wrote a few posts and and then wrote a few more and um, created a book proposal, sent it out to uh, agents and sent it out to publishers over the course of a couple of years. And, uh, you know, of course, no one thought that I knew what I was doing writing, so I got nothing but pink slips. Uh, thanking me very much for my submissions and turning them down. And then uh, all of a sudden last year in November, I got an email from Kaplan Publishing asking me if I had any interest in writing a book based on some of the stuff that was in my blog. It's it's interesting that, that your book, to some extent, grew out of your blog. Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you wrote your, you, you did your book writing before you started blogging or around the same time. My book was out before. In fact, it, in fact, it was a reaction to my book that led me to blog. That is, I saw some online reviews of the book, and they had very little immediate reaction on, or, or print media reviews of the book, had very little effect on sales. But then I saw online reviews of the book that led to an immediate increase in sales. And it became obvious to me that the blogosphere is a pretty potent tool in a bunch of ways, and I was missing a trick. So having seen what the blogosphere did to sales of the book, I decided to launch my blog afterwards, sort of as a result of what it, the reaction I saw to the book. Well, your blog's certainly taken off as a consequence, Mark. Oh, the, I mean, both both of these experiences have been uh, uh, new and new and interesting, and and sort of refreshing because it's so far removed from the day to day life of a practicing lawyer. But it's kind of odd that somebody came to you. You couldn't pitch the book, but the blog pitched the book. Huh? That's exactly right. Yeah, it was surprising to me that uh, I couldn't get a taker for uh, all of the agents, and and I borrowed some lists from many friends that I knew that had published books, and none of them worked. But they came to me, surprisingly. 
I, I had sort of a similar backwards experience. That is, my book is published by ABA Publishing, and I urged them to try to get it reviewed in the ABA Journal, thinking that that would be a good place for a book review. The publisher said it's, <laughs> it's completely impossible to have an ABA Publications book reviewed in the ABA Journal because the journal is separate from the ABA and doesn't want to carry its water. And within a year, I got a call from somebody at the ABA Journal saying, "Hey, we've seen all these things out there about your book, and we would we would like to we would like to." Uh, uh, do a profile of it. So although I couldn't convince them through the back door to do it after the book was out there and around, they decided on their own that they wanted to review it just on its own merits. It's funny because I I had a book out a few years ago that was essentially a guide to legal websites. And and it was when I did the first edition of that book uh, that uh, prompted me to start blogging because uh, one of the problems with doing a, a book about the web is that, of course, it's out of date almost as soon as you publish it. And uh, I wanted a way to be able to keep uh, the content fresh and, and keep readers up to date with what was happening. And so uh, it, it was my book that, that directly led me to start blogging. Uh, yeah, but a book is at least nice that you can hold it in your hands and you know that it's finished, unlike the blog, which is relentless and mind-numbing and re- requires that constant attention. Well, that's true. And, and you can show it to your friends and family and impress them. The blog just doesn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I actually had a couple of invitations. To people who were going to do it as, a, as an ebook or an online book, and I turned them down for exactly that reason. Which is, I understand ebooks and online books are the, the new new thing, but I really wanted to hold it in my hands. So, Craig, there was a, I, I, I understand that there's uh, somewhat of a, a, a little story that uh, relates to uh, how you. Uh, developed your writing skills early on, something to do with an editor's red pen. Is that something you can share with us? When I first graduated from uh, college, I graduated with a degree in communication arts, radio, TV, film, journalism. So I thought I was a fairly good writer. And my first job out of law school was working for uh, the Chesapeake Potomac Telephone Company, at that point a subdivision of AT&T. And I was in the public relations department. And I had as a boss, Kathleen O'Keefe Petty, who was a very uh, statuesque, white-haired woman who had been in the industry from the time that uh, she had graduated from high school. She'd been a newspaper writer and a newspaper editor and had worked her way up the ranks and was a revered uh, writer. And I thought, great, she's going to love my work. You know, a young, uh, idealistic kid that I was thought that um, I would just impress the daylights out of her with my newfound knowledge from uh, the university. And I submitted my first work to her and she called me into her office and I looked at the work that I'd done and it was just dripping in blood. It was just completely ripped up uh, with her red ink pen. And I, I carried the paper back to my office, and I swear that the ink dripped off it on the floor as I walked back to my office. There was so much red on it, and I really did not uh, understand how to write in her style or, for that matter, in, in a newspaper style because I was writing a, a house organ, a new, an internal newspaper for the phone company. And my first of many lessons in writing, but as a consequence of that, whenever I correct now um, – I can't think of how long ago that was, but probably 25, 30 years ago, I, I now correct only in blue pen. I, I absolutely refuse to correct in red pen because of that experience. Of course, Mark, your your book starts out, the very first chapter of your book is How to Write, a Memorandum from a Curmudgeon. Uh, talk a little bit about why you decided to start out 
uh, with the topic of writing for young associates. Well, I wanted a chapter that would introduce that would introduce people quickly to the authorial voice of the curmudgeon, and that that a uh, uh, short chapter about legal writing sort of gets you there pretty quickly, so you understand the voice that it is that you're who you're going to be hearing from over the next uh, 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 hundred some pages. But what's funny is, as Craig just said, I don't believe for a minute that you can learn good legal writing from a book. That is, the only way you learn good writing is by being edited and by practice, doing it over and over again and being edited by people. I think it's basically inconceivable that you could read a book about legal writing and thus become a good legal writer. So it's a little odd when you hold that belief to have written a book that in part is a how-to book about legal writing. Well, it's it's a, a little bit like, uh, there's a little, a little uh, hint of the elements of style in this. You, we mentioned in the introduction, this has been one of the most popular books uh, that the ABA has published. Um, talk a little bit about the reaction that you've had and the response that you've had from people who've read the book. The, I'd, I'd say the, the you, you, you put something out there in the world and you sort of wonder if people are reading it and how they're reacting to it and what they are thinking as they read it. And no matter whether that's a, an article or a book, or I suspect even a podcast for you guys, that you tend typically to get very little reaction. Although when the Wall Street Journal law blog posted uh, excerpts from the book, you could watch along in the comments the reaction to it. And it was remarkable because there it ranged from uh, uh, f- from really outraged by the words that I had written to really invigorated and delighted that I had had that I was willing to say these things in an approachable style and I thought as I watched the comments that it probably reflected a generational divide in the law that is I thought probably the older readers of the excerpts were lining up with the curmudgeon thinking at a boy way to go we got to tell those young whippersnappers and the younger readers of the book were were probably reacting with the sort of the usual cognitive dissonance of you don't need to tell me that I already know it, leave me alone. I thought that the authorial voice had something to do with how people were reacting to the book. Overall, though, the, the reaction has been really positive. Most of the reviewers, with the exception of a couple of very young reviewers, reviewers in law school, have been overwhelmingly positive about the book. I would agree with you, Mark. I took your, your book and gave it as a present to my son uh, when he graduated from law school. And uh, I got somewhat of a similar dad lecture kind of uh, response from my son when he read it. Like, I don't need this. Although, you know, I, I, I thought briefly about putting in a chapter that would have been written in the voice of a young associate telling partners, you know, the, cha- the title of that chapter would have been How to Be a Crappy Partner, <laughs> and would have explained in that same ranting voice, here is the things that partners ought not to do. And I, I bet that that, even though it is simply giving advice, would have been received differently with all of the, the young lawyers saying, you know, attaboy, that's the way to go, and all of the older lawyers going, leave me alone, because they wouldn't believe it, because they'd have the cognitive dissonance. I think that the voice of the book affects how people are going to receive it. Well, you did give, you did give the secretary her say, we'll say that. But, uh, <laughs> yes, Craig, the commandingly secretary got to, got to rant a little bit. Craig, who are you hoping will be the readers of your book? Who is your book focused on as an audience? Well, to me, it's an everyman-style book. It's not written solely for lawyers, although I think that uh, lawyers would enjoy it, uh, and as well as law students. Uh, Dean Chemerinsky from the new UCI Law School looked at it, and he said it should be required reading for anyone considering law school or entering the legal profession. Uh, I look at it almost the other way around. After you've uh, 
gotten out of law school, you need a little dose of reality, and it might be helpful to get your head back on track to read this book before you start practicing law after you've graduated from law school, because it seems like uh, there is a reality out there that you really don't get in law school. But I think that virtually anybody could read this book, uh, at least anyone with uh, some level of appreciation of satire would, would enjoy it. When is the book going to be out, Craig? I know that uh, you said some of the advanced copies are in the mail now. When's going to be hitting the bookstores? When is going to be unavailable online? It's available online right now on a pre-order basis, but it comes out on June 3rd. Uh, this weekend, I'm going to be at the Book Expo America in uh, Los Angeles at the Convention Center signing books on Sunday. Uh, I guess the Book Expo America is a trade show, uh, more so for uh, people who are very interested in books. Craig, one of the things you talk about in the book are uh, judges. A, a couple of different times you uh, uh, mentioned judges uh, in the book. Uh, do you think uh, – talk about uh, lawyers and judges and, and uh, how those play into what you're writing about. Well, there's a chapter at the end of the book called Tell It to the Judge, and there's a series of uh, vignettes about things that people have done uh, trying to get out of various predicaments that they get put into. But uh, there is, there's one uh, one of my favorite – uh, opinions from a judge is the ver- at the very end of the book, and I actually quoted the opinion in the appendix word for word. It is a motion to compel an invitation to lunch, and uh, it was granted by the judge. And it was written in such a classic style that uh, I thought that it really ought to be there for lawyers because. Uh, and Mark points it out in his book that there's a lack of civility uh, in the profession sometimes. And to me, that's a way of – actually, Mark, it's a tip of the hat to you because uh, I thought about it when I was writing it. But I this this motion to compel a, an acceptance of a lunch invitation uh, was written so well by the judge that it's stuck in there. And there's um, uh, a whole other series of, of judges – uh, stories that are there. One of my more favorite ones is actually an old one from the uh, 60s where someone sued the, um, the United States government alleging, or actually was the, the state of New Jersey alleging that someone had uh, pointed a laser beam into his eye and reprogrammed his brain. And the judge wrote that he thought that it was an improper forum in federal court for it, that it really should have been something that was brought before the FCC since they're the ones that regulate laser beams. And in any event, why didn't the guy just uh, do the same thing that gasoline trucks do with grounding themselves when they're fueling? Uh, all he had to do was just attach some paper clips to the back of his uh, cuff on his trousers and drag it on the ground, and, and he would have grounded himself and the laser beam would have never had any effect. Well, Craig, you know this drill, but we're going to uh, take a short break, and uh, in a few minutes we'll be back to talk more about uh, the curmudgeon's guide to practicing law and about how to get sued. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs, J. Craig Williams' blog at mayhavepleasethecourt.com, likewise Robert Ambrogi's blog at LegalLine.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, a healthy dose of humor and wit. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line. 
at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi, and we'd like to welcome back our guest, Mark Herman, who's a partner resident in the Chicago office of the international law firm Jones Day and the author of the book, The Curmudgeon's Guide to Practicing Law. And, uh, of course, we're also talking with our co-host, Craig Williams, who has just published his own book called How to Get Sued. Uh, Mark and Craig, both of you have decided that, uh, you know, you're going to use humor as sort of the basis, uh, for your book, uh, but both of them deal with, uh, you know, they're, they're not pure humor books. Uh, I mean, Mark, I, you know, your book really is very practical in a lot of the information and advice that it sets out. Uh, so, so talk about why you decided to use humor as the way to approach these topics. You can either be smart or you can be funny, and funny is much, much easier, don't you think? Definitely. We try. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, my book, if you distill it down to its basics, says, says two things. First, do the very best you can do, and second, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I'm not sure that would be a big seller. So you have to dress it up a little bit, and the way to dress it up is by putting it into events and putting some flesh on the bones, and uh, the way to make it more real rather than just uh, you know practice law this way practice law this way do this you know that would that's what a mentor would say but this guy the curmudgeon is not a mentor the curmudgeon instead of saying do this do this consider doing this says don't do this don't do this and for god's sake whatever you do don't do this which is just a, a, a different voice but to get across the same ideas well to some extent you you undervalue you uh, underplay the book because it, i mean it really is full of uh, a lot of practical advice uh, especially for a young lawyer but even for some of the more seasoned lawyers among us. Uh, Craig, how about you? What about, I, I mean, did, was it uh, a deliberate, uh, did you deliberately set out to try and use humor in your writing, or was that uh, just the way it kind of naturally evolved for you? It somewhat naturally evolved for me. I mean, my very first post on May It Please the Court is called How to Get Sued uh, back in 2003. And it seemed to me when I was writing the blog that one of the things that I wanted to do was communicate to people how to go about hiring a lawyer, what things they want to look at, and what kind of a lawyer to hire. Because a lot of times, I'm sure both Bob and Mark, you've experienced the same thing. You get calls from clients and, you know, someone calls me and I'm a business lawyer and somebody says, well, you know, I need, uh, I'm getting a divorce. I'm exactly the wrong kind of lawyer for that. I, I don't do it and I, I don't enjoy it, but uh, 
the idea behind the book was much in the same way that Mark has used humor. I've tried to do the same thing because at the end of each one of the chapters, there's a section called Seriously Now, and it describes uh, how to avoid the situations that the people that uh, are in the beginning portions of the chapters have gotten themselves into and how to go about finding someone to be able to help resolve it. In fact, one of the things that Kaplan asked me to do, and, and uh, Mark, it almost sounds like the chapter that you were talking about earlier about the young associate would be a, a good opportunity for this. Kaplan asked me to write another chapter essentially called uh, So You've Been Sued, and it goes through the entire process of what happens when you first get a lawsuit, how you handle it, and then how a lawsuit progresses and how different things occur. And, the uh, So You've Been Sued chapter is actually called Bonus Materials, and it's available on Kaplan's website uh, that features the book. And so it's something that can easily be downloaded and uh, it might be a uh, – it's a good follow-through for the end of the book to be able to kind of wrap it up and say, okay, now here's really what uh, the book was about. And it's – yeah, I'm not really telling people how to get sued. It's just these are ways that people have been sued. But here's ways to avoid it, and here's how to get uh, out of the lawsuit once you've been in it, how many times settlement occurs, and what types of ways to avoid lawsuits. So it, like Mark, it's it's really designed to, um, it, to do one thing, which is avoid getting sued. But as Mark said, it's that's not funny. Uh, but how to get sued is. Well, and you write about the top ten ways to get sued in the book. Yeah. Love, money, businesses, uh, you name it. <laughs> uh, Mark, I mean, your book uh, is written for kind of the, the big law associate, I, I guess. Uh, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't pretend to be something else. But have you found that your audience uh, goes beyond uh, lawyers in big law firms? Oh yeah, I think. I mean, I think anybody who's been working at a big law firm for ten or fifteen years j- just reads the book and thinks, "How did this guy have a video camera on my office wall for all these years?" Because everybody lives the same life in very many ways. It's just that the, the, the lawyers who are in practice don't have don't bother to pick up their pen to write it down, and people, you know, the scholars, the people who would be expected to write things down, haven't lived that life. So it's sort of a funny person to pick up the pen and say it. But in addition, it's been used by, uh, it, it certainly is being used in big law firm training programs. It's been picked up by a bunch of people at small firms and sole practitioners who've said that they appreciated the advice. And it's made it's, made its way onto the syllabus at a few law schools for either legal writing or practice of law classes that are trying to give students, you know, either yet another primer on legal writing or some idea of what the real world is going to feel like after they get out of their, their ivory towers. And so now you've had this book under your belt for a couple of years. You've been blogging for a year and a half, two years. Uh, what's the next big writing project for you? Are you going to focus, continue to focus on writing online? Or are you going to be doing another book? Uh, or are you just going to uh, you know, stay the course? Well, I, I have a couple of law review articles that are coming out. I mean, real serious academic stuff that's going to be coming out over the course of the next six months. One in the Tulane Law Review on uh, multi-district litigation practice and one in uh, Pittsburgh on on the interplay between class actions and the Internet. But I must say that I don't feel like I have 
another book easily in me, and in particular to write a book at the same time that you're blogging. Craig, my hat is off to you that you managed to do that, because I find the the blog to be, to be a, a, a relentless consumer of spare time. It is that. And for that matter, this is this is actually your your second book. I mean, you've actually written a a more uh, scholarly is that the right word uh, a book or at least a practical book uh, on uh, I think it's called statewide coordinated proceedings, state court analogs to the federal MDL process. My first book was meant to sit unread on law library shelves for three and five years at a pop until some young associate discovered it at two in the morning, pulled it off and said, oh, thank goodness somebody wrote this book. It's exactly what I need, and blew the dust off it, used it for a research project, and put it back on the library shelves. So I thought that was a worthwhile contribution to the literature, but not one that was going to be passed hand-to-hand with with readers saying, hey, this is pretty cool. Look at this. It'll make you laugh. It's a little more satisfying to have written one that you feel might get a little more play. Craig, we we uh, I understand you have a, a, a connection to uh, a famous popular writer, uh, Sidney Sheldon. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, he is uh, his wife, Alexandra, serves on a charity board that I serve on uh, out in in Palm Desert, the Bighorn Institute. And uh, as we've been on it, I've been on it for a long time. I've gotten to know her and before he died, Sydney, and, and been invited to a couple of um, events where he was honored. And I took one of those opportunities to get some advice from him uh, about writing and and talking with him about uh, book contracts and negotiating. And it was interesting. Uh, his advice, after all of those years, he said, you need to get the best deal you can right up in the front because the book contract that I have now is the same book contract I had for my first book contract. <laughs> So despite all of his success, uh, his publisher never changed the terms of his of his uh, contract. He could have used a lawyer, huh? Well, he had some very good lawyers, uh, apparently, but um, I guess he was satisfied with it and, and uh, obviously made a very good living for as many books as he published. Well, we're getting near the end of our time. I, I, I thought maybe uh, as we're closing this uh, discussion, I could ask each of you to uh, follow the theme that you just raised, which is to uh, tell aspiring writers among our listeners out there uh, what advice you might have for them in uh, getting started in book writing. Uh, Mark, let's start with you. I think my main reaction is just do it. If you think that you can do it and you have an idea and you can make it happen, just tell yourself you're going to get yourself over the finish line and do it. Because if you wait for forever before you put pen to paper or start typing at a computer, it will never happen. So you have to set a finish line for yourself and say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start now. It will be finished in the following period of time, and it will be out there. And at least for me, uh, by changing it from sort of a long-term concept into a short-term goal, this is what you must achieve, it it made it happen. And I will say that holding the thing in your hands is pretty cool. It's It's it, it's a it's a real joy to finally see it when it comes out when it comes out in its finished form. Craig, uh, what's your advice for aspiring writers? I, I'd echo something. I'd echo what Mark said and, and expand on it just a bit. But I I completely agree. I mean, we all as lawyers have have heard many people say, "Well, I could have been a lawyer," and you know we think quietly in our minds, "Well, you know, go to law school and see what it's really like." Um, and I've started to hear some of the same thing. Well, I, I could have written a book. 
And I agree completely with Mark, you know, sit down, write it and get it out. But I think that as well as, as that, the other concept that I would put into it, and maybe it comes from my, my very first writing experience, and as Mark uh, echoed one of that comment of mine, be receptive to criticism and get your work edited by as many people as you can because it will make you a better writer. One of the rules that we have in our law firm is, and which is something that I got from uh, my experience working at a big law firm is that nothing goes out of here without at least another set of eyes on it and someone else editing it and lose the pride of authorship because uh, two people looking at something is going to make it much better than just your work. Well, and of course, anybody who's ever worked in newspapers knows that rule well. Nothing goes out without at least another set of eyes looking at it and pride of authorship is, is a good thing to leave by the wayside sometimes. Um, and, uh, Mark, your book, uh, can be found, uh, where? Where, remind our listeners where they can find your book? You can either get it through American Bar Association Publishing, so you would go to the ABA web store, or alternatively, you can get it at Amazon.com or most of the online retailers. And Craig, I assume you're on Amazon as well. And where else can listeners find your book? Well, if you go to the howtogetsued.com website, there's a list at the bottom of the page of all the book sites is available and a, and a link to another page where there's even more available. But like Mark, mine's available at, at Borders and, and uh, Barnes and & Noble and Amazon.com and a host of other uh, online booksellers. Well, thank you very much to both of our guests. Of course, uh, Mark Herman, uh, anybody interested in contacting Mark can find him uh, through Jones Day. And uh, anybody interested in finding J. Craig Williams can, of course, just tune in to Lawyer to Lawyer any week and find him right here or at the Williams Law Firm on the web. Thank you to both of us for joining us uh, and uh, really appreciate your time. And it's been very good talking to you. And uh, I just want to also remind our listeners that um, our uh, host, uh, Legal Talk Network and ALM, have recently launched uh, a, a joint operation called Legal Channels, uh, in which you can find at law.com and also at YouTube slash Legal Channels. And tune in there and you can find a video of J. Craig Williams discussing his book and uh, also uh, telling some other stories related to that. So tune in and see that. Uh, Craig, talk to you next week. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, guys. Good luck with the book, Craig. Thank you, Mark, and same to you. Bob, thanks for having us uh, both on the show. Okay. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Gee Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.